And uh, again, we just want to welcome you all here this morning. And uh, I know it's a fantastic day out there today. So uh, we're just going to, I just got to share a few thoughts with you. And uh, then we're going to go out and enjoy the Hawks Bay. Amen. Awesome. Hey, if you've got your Bibles with you, I just would, would like you to turn to John chapter 9 and verse 1. John chapter 9. Somebody found that yet? Yeah. If you don't have it, we should have it coming up on the screens. And here it is. John chapter 9, verse 1 down to 4. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man sinned, nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God, everyone say, the works of God. The works of God should be revealed in him. And then Jesus goes on to say, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. The night is coming where no one can work. In verse 5, as long as I am in the world, everybody say, in the world. I am the light of the world. Turn to the person next to you, tell them, I am the light of the world. So we see here we have a story of um, a man that was born... The Bible says he was born blind from birth, and his whole world was a world of darkness. There was no, there was no light. He could not enjoy the, the good things of the world. He could not experience the, uh, the creation of God, the beauty of God. His, his whole world was wrapped up in darkness, and he obviously would have needed a crutch to survive on, and he would have needed support from so many people to, in order just to survive in the world. And so one of the things I, I, I see in this is the blind man uh, in this story, I believe, represents humanity. And uh, for all of us, the Bible says that we're born into sin, and, uh, and we're born separated from God. And so uh, for many people, we, look in the, we see in the world today, they live in a world of spiritual darkness. We don't have to look far to see how many people live in a realm of darkness. Uh, I was even just looking on, uh, on an article this week, and you listen to some of the, the lyrics of, of some of the songs that many young people are listening to, listening to today talking about the demons inside their head and, and uh, all sorts of horrible things. We don't have to look far to see that people live in a realm of darkness, the amount of depression, the amount of loneliness, um, people searching for something to fill the void inside of their hearts. And so everywhere we see people that are uh, we're born into sin, we are born separated from God. However, Jesus Christ came that we may have a, be reconciled back to God, back to Jesus Christ, and also to one another. So I believe this blind man represents humanity living in darkness. Interesting that the disciples, when they looked at this man, they only thought one of two things could cause this. Either he sinned or his parents sinned. And uh, one of the things I was just considering on this was that uh, this was an assumption that the disciples sat on. An assumption is simply that is uh, uh, something that we take for truth without evidence. There was no real proof. Uh, so uh, these people just assumed that this man, he was in the condition because either he sinned or his parents sinned. But I like the response that Jesus gave. He says, no, neither this man. So he actually broke the assumption and injected a, a whole new perspective into the situation. No, this man didn't sin. Neither did his parents. But that the works of God would be revealed in him. And I believe that there are sometimes that there are circumstances which, according to what Jesus said here, they're not caused by what we think they're caused by. I believe that there are situations and circumstances created and set up by God in order that his goodness would be revealed and demonstrated in the world today. 
I would encourage you not to just automatically assume that everything that we see is a result of, of somebody's failure or somebody's brokenness. Sometimes it's an opportunity for God just to show that he is good. That he is good to everyone. doesn't matter if you are a, a, a Bible-believing Christian, you come to church, or whether you're an atheist. God is no respecter of persons. He is just good to the saved and the unsaved. He is good to the church and the unchurched. He is good to the believer and to the unbeliever. God is just good. God is inherently good. God is not looking to throw down pianos from heaven to smite the world and everyone who's wicked. That is not the nature of God. The nature of God is love, and love always believes the best. Love never remembers wrong. So here we have, it was a a new perspective that Jesus was trying to create into these disciples. The assumption is that, so Jesus says in uh, verse 4 and 5, So Jesus starts to shift the conversation and starts to make this as an example. He's saying, I must work the works of God while I've still got the opportunity. So Jesus knew that his life on earth was limited. He knew that he had a limited time on this world to to bring uh, his mandate into the world. And friends, you and I today, we're not going to live on this earth forever. One day we will leave this earth and we didn't bring anything into the world and we're not going to leave anything behind of material value. However, what we can bring is the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can uh, make our lives count. We can bring the reflective glory of God into the world today. And so Jesus knew that he had only a limited amount of time. And I want to uh, pr- suggest to you today that you also, uh, and me, we don't know how long an opportunity that we have to carry the presence of God. We just don't know how much we've got. We don't know. And so it's important, I believe, that we live our lives with true value that we live our lives to the maximum value. And so Jesus goes on to say this amazing word that um, I'm just captivated by this. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. This is a parallel scripture to what he also said in Matthew chapter 5, where he says, you, talking to believers, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Cannot be hidden. So one says he, in one sense, Jesus is saying, I am the, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But he's also saying to you and I that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. There's no way we can hide this. In other words, we're not going to keep this in the shadows. We're not going to keep this in the four walls of the church. It's helpful to notice that he actually said this in the open field. He didn't say this inside a a building. He said this right out in public. You are the light of the world. As long as you're in the world, you are the light of the world. Friends, I want to just suggest a few things to you this morning. That many times the the term the world, when when, when we as Christians hear the term the world, for many people we have all sorts of different ideas about what that means. And uh, for many places, I believe that the world has been projected as a the term "the world" has been projected as a great evil influence that the church should have no part in. Uh, we often see that presented uh, through the scripture, "Come out from them and be ye separate." And so often, when we look through scripture, we can see uh, there is a world that Jesus gave his life for, and there is a world that we should have no part of. And I believe often we can mis uh, we, we can take it out of context and misinterpret what the scripture is saying. The consequences, the consequence, I believe, that, uh, of the church coming a, 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 and presenting this, that we should be separate from the world, 
And taken out of context, I believe, has brought the church into a position where it is no longer relevant in many places to society. I believe the consequences of this has been the church has become increasingly irrelevant. I believe where uh, many years ago, the church used to be the center of society. It used to be a community hub. It's no longer that anymore. People will come to a service on a Sunday, then go home and forget about it. The church we see today in many cases is not the same as it used to be. I believe largely there's because uh, there's been a projection in, in certain places that we're to be not to love the world or not to be of the world. But yet Jesus also gave his life for the world. So I just want to just present to you a few thoughts about that. Among the unchurched, Christianity is perceived, often perceived as irrelevant, antiquated, and a religious belief system that dates back 2,000 years ago. If you talk to many people... Uh, who don't come to church, that is the perception of church. It's old, it's boring. But we know today that you know, church Bay City is not a boring place, and there's always something here happening. The judgmental attitudes expressed by many professing Christians do not help our cause in society as well. I believe that one of the, uh, the perceptions that many unchurched people have is that the church is full of judgment uh, against uh, it, it can be often projected as the moral police. And uh, I believe that right now we're in a critical situation where the church has to, in many ways, come back to its core mandate and represent itself uh, and build its reputation back in the church. The bottom line, I believe, is that in many places it has become irrelevant. It has become irrelevant. And, uh, but I don't believe this was ever Christ's, uh, Christ's intention. I just want to look at the, the, the definition of the word world. The world... The word world has different meanings according to Scripture depending on the context and its use. There's a couple of uh, examples here. Uh, so the word, the world that God showed us love for must have a different meaning to the world that we should not love. Both the world, but actually two different things. There are three, three Greek words for the word world. And that's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? <laughs> The first one can be found in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus talks about the cares of this world. The cares of this world, there's a, there's a value system that the world lives to. There's cares of the world, that's a different type of world. The, the word world for that is, is the word ion, which means a period of time uh, or a generation or human history. There are cares in our world today, there are uh, values or lack of values, there's a sense of uh, morality or not or a lack of morality in our world today, that this is a, that is a part of this generation, uh, self-centeredness, um, revenge. There's a whole bunch of uh, ideas and values that the world has today that Jesus said, now you shouldn't be a part of that. The world uh, he is talking about that we should not have a, value, a part of is the, the value system that the world presents. If you look at many places in the, in, in the world today, it's about uh, if somebody does something to you, it hurts you, you want to get them back. You go and sue them, you go and hurt them. You go and re- act, go get them back somehow. If somebody wrongs you, you do a wrong back. Uh, another value that the world presents is um, look out for number one first. These are not kingdom values. So there's, I mean, We can go through a long time about the values of the world, but there's a, a system of the world that Jesus said, no, you don't want to have a part of that. You are of a different value. So there's the cares of the world. The second one can be found in Matthew 24, where Jesus says the gospel of this kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. 
this word means ecumeni. Um, There's different ways of saying it, but this world means land, territories, and geographical locations. So this is a different uh, definition of the word world. You see that uh, Uncle Bill going to China, and, and many of us have gone into different parts of, of the world into geographical locations to bring the gospel. That is a different representation. But what I want to talk to you this morning and present to you is another word where it's, uh, is the world, in, in this context, is the word cosmos. It's another Greek word called cosmos. The word cosmos means this. It is a definition of Christ, and it means to penetrate every social order, arrangement, or culture, or the way human society is organized. So if you consider this for a minute, in the study of human culture and development, many uh, sociologists and anthropologists believe that there are, uh, our society as we know it today is made up of seven different pillars. Let me read these pillars out to you. The first one is, fa- uh, is, is family. Family represents the basis of our society. Another one, a second one is religion. In many places, religion forms the basis of society. A third one is business. Uh, business is essential for the community. The, the whole commercial world is a, is a world in its own. Education is another world. Uh, government, arts, and media. Now, the latter five of these, of, of business, education, government, arts, and media, make up what, what uh, is known as the marketplace. And I believe this is the social order, the social world that I believe that Christ has called us to influence as well. Not just to go to geographical locations, but to engage into the society, into the marketplace around us uh, in order to influence that for Christ. Friends, the reality is that most of the time in terms of our spiritual life, we only have an hour, maybe an hour and a half that we come to church on a Sunday. And that's, that's about it for many people. Friends, just coming to Church is not going to change the world. Coming to church on a Sunday and then going home and maybe going to cell group, that is not going to influence society. I believe that um, one of the models that we can look at is that, um, is that of, of Daniel and Joseph. We look at the stories of Daniel and Joseph. Both of them were highly engaged and activated within their social structure. For Daniel, it was Babylon. Uh, for Joseph, it was Egypt. But you see, both of them, they were immersed in the culture of the day. They were not standing back. And uh, so I believe that, uh, sure, Christ has called us to preach the gospel to the world and to geographical locations. But the most of the time, 90% of the time, our lives are spent in the marketplace. 90% of the time, our lives are spent either in the commercial world, uh, in entertainment, uh, in the business, in education, in politics. So God positions all of us at certain places in the community, and that is where we spend most of the time. If that is where we spend most of the time, that is where I believe God is calling us to have an influence. That is the place. Not just in here. I mean, only a certain number of people will come to church, however, but if you and I engage the, the sectors of the marketplace that you and I have been positioned in by God, there, I believe, is where we will start to have an influence. And for all of us, we, have a, we, live, in a, a, we live in a social structure. We live in a social environment. And your social environment will be different to mine. For my, at the moment, my social environment is largely the education system. That is where God has positioned me for this time, And I'm not just there to learn some good information. I'm also there to be an influence on the people around me. 
I have an opportunity right there to influence the lecturers. I've got an opportunity right there to influence the leaders and the movers and shakers of this country. And when I got the opportunity, I took it. (laughs) I took it. I'm not going to be silly about it. I'm not going to just, I didn't get up there and just preach, you know, thus saith the Lord, you're going to go to hell if you don't say sorry, Jesus. No, no, no. (laughs) No, no, no. I just found, I got presented with an opportunity a while ago just to talk about if anyone's doing anything of a humanitarian initiative within the commercial world. So I did. There was no one else put their hand up. This is the whole cohort cohort and all the education people and all these people. And I said, yeah, I'm doing something. So I talked to them about what I do and why I do it. Everyone was touched. Even to this day, I've got them thinking, how can I use my resources to support humanity? How can I make a business? What can I do? I've got one guy in my class. He's wanting to, his goal now is to give $100,000 a year away to humanitarian uh, initiatives. And you want to hear him talk. He swears like a trooper. He sweats. He smokes. He, um, he's amazing. <laughs> he drinks. He does a whole lot. But actually, he's, something has changed in his heart where he's started to hear now, I want to do something for people. And both him and his wife have got a goal now to release 100000 every year to help people. Friends, that is influence. That is bringing the gospel into the community. My university professor and... Uh, I never did too good at school, but anyway, um, I got talking to my university professor, and uh, you know, Pastor Mike has taught us how to move in the spirit, and so when I had the opportunity, I moved in the spirit, but it wasn't, thus saith the Lord, uh, God's going to just, I see this like angel and things, it wasn't like that. I had an opportunity just to be able to speak into his heart, and even to this point now, his whole life has been transformed. He started to reconsider his own life, his, his own call, and he's starting to recognize now that there must be a spiritual aspect into the corporate world. Friends, that is influence. I didn't get him to say a sorry Jesus prayer, but right now he is considering how he can shape his life to influence a whole generation of people. That is the impact of, uh, of engaging the marketplace. I could have had the opportunity to stand back and say, oh, no, I'll just leave that for church. Friends, you and I are called to engage the marketplace, engage the society where you're at. For too long, we have separated church from the society. So long, church has been separated from the society. I believe that the church is called to be a, a prophetic voice to a contemporary generation. A prophetic voice. In other words, you and I as the church, not just me, not just prophet so and so, or pastor, or bishop, or doctor. All of us as believers are called to be a prophetic voice to the community and the world around us. A prophetic voice is not thus saith the Lord. It's to, say, it's to speak the words of God in a contemporary way, sometimes using words. <laughs> that is what I believe that God is calling us to do. To be that prophetic voice, I believe that there are three, three models that you and I could choose to adopt. First model, we could choose an antagonistic model where we cry out judgment and sparing no one in the process. We can stand here and decree that fire and grand pianos are going to fall from heaven and consume up everyone's wickedness. And woe betide you, why, if you are in some sort of debaucherous situation, God's going to smite you down. Well, that's one model that we could use. You know, I question its effectiveness. <laughs> 
there's another one we could use. We could use a detached model where we isolate ourselves in our spiritual world where it's just me and God and that's it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's, a, that's fine. I mean, we, we need to have a relationship with God. But that's not the entire picture. Or a third model, I believe, we can have an engaged model, much like the ones that Joseph and Daniel adopted of their lifetime. An engaged model means that we have to get out of our comfort zone. An engaged model has a really high element of risk because we might get rejected. <laughs> it has a, a high level of risk because often we have to challenge ourselves or challenge our environment or challenge our thinking or challenge our insecurities. To have an engaged model means we have to be connected. We have to be relationally connected to people. And I don't know about you, but sometimes if it's like talking to somebody and talking to a stranger and they ask what you do. It's like sometimes saying, if you're a pastor, it kind of has the same impact as saying that I work as a tax investigator for the IRD. It's like the conversation just falls flat to the floor. <laughs> You've got to have a way, we've got to use contemporary language in order to be able to communicate the sacred message that we have. It's not about compromising our message or compromising our value system. It's about presenting it in a way that is contemporary, that connects with where people are at. If you're in a cultural situation, use language and use use whatever God has placed in you, but communicate it within the setting that God has positioned you in. Apostle Paul said, I have become all things to all men so that I may have won some. It's not about compromising our sacred values. It's not about compromising that. It's about presenting it in a way that's relevant. It's about stepping out of our comfort zone and just going to say hello to somebody. Speaking into, inviting them into your home, being kind, being generous to somebody, just getting into their world. That's all you have to do. If, if we don't have a connection with a, a, a relational connection, I tell you, it's very, very hard to shift. So I believe this is where the church is bring, uh, God has wanted to bring his church again. Many of us want to be the prophetic voice of the Lord, but where from? From here or from out there in the community? We can prophesy, uh, uh, we can prophesy all we like from here. I believe the most effective form of prophecy is when we get out into the community, we look at people in the eyes, get inside their world, and bring the word of the Lord, and bring the hope of the gospel into their lives. That is the most effective thing. I love talking to Pete and Henrietta the other day, getting into their environment and, and hearing what they're doing in their environment. And it's, it's not the prettiest of environments, but you're in there, you're doing it, and you're bringing the hope of the gospel in there. That is what the church should be doing. That is what you and I am just so challenged that I'm going to continue to do. We're going to just continue to pray for you and bless you and support what you're doing. And if you don't know what they're doing, I encourage you to find out what they're doing. And many of you, uh, uh, Matt Charlton, listening to some, some of the people that he works with, my goodness, relationally connecting into their world, bringing the hope of, God, bringing the, hope of the gospel into their world, not just thus saith the Lord, but actually engaging them relationally and loving them and inviting them into their lives. That, to me, my friends, is the gospel at work. To, to become, so we can proclaim the glory of God. We can pro proclaim our prophetic words from here. Or we can engage our society, the wilderness of the world, where we have to engage the culture of an unbelieving, godless generation. If you look at people like Daniel, he oversaw the sorcerers and the, and the astrologers. 
I mean, for some people, for some churches, if they have an astrologer in the church, it's like, my goodness, they're a witch. We need to get them out. No, bring them in. <laughs> bring them in. I remember just, and just finishing up now, um, for those of you that may not remember, uh, there was a Quran burning. The guy, Terry Jones, went, wanted to burn the Quran in America a little while ago, for whatever reason. The bottom line is we were in Pakistan at that time, and they don't think kindly of that kind of thing happening. <laughs> and um, and uh, just a couple of days after that, uh, we had a meeting. We sent an invitation out to 250 imams to come and hear some white people. And when they think white people, they just think America. <laughs> and so it was a difficult situation. Anyway, a lot of them were really angry, and most of them never turned up. And uh, nevertheless, we still had 60-odd imams turn up, and we met in a, a madrasa. A madrasa is like an uh, it's a Muslim school. And it's one of those places where, as Christians, it's like, speak the blood of Jesus over you. <laughs> Never go into such a place. However, we went in there, and it was a funny sort of a standoff, because all these imams, and they've got beards and turbans and all these kinds of things, and uh, they didn't look very Christian-like. <laughs> and some of them were still upset. And I was in their turf. And, uh, but I just felt at that point, uh, just to go and engaged them. So I just took the initiative, went up and just shook their hand. Every one of them gave me a big hug and said, welcome into this place, and got the opportunity to be able to pray for them and minister to them and preach the word of God to them, uh, simply by engaging their world. Now I've got an opportunity to be able to speak to some of the, the, uh, some of the leading imams in the world where no other person could have the opportunity, simply because I opened my heart to receive them, to eat with them, to pray with them. I'm not compromising my values. However, I am engaging their world. To become a contemporary Christian, to engage the prevalent culture in this day, is not to get the approval of that culture. If you're looking for cultural approval, we will end up compromising. And by doing that, we're allowing the world to define us, not us to define the world. The whole challenge of engaging culture is not for the faint of heart. That's why many of us would like to just stay in here and worship Jesus. It's the safest thing to do. (laughs) Today I want to ask you just to consider a couple of things. Consider, one, the world that you live in today. Not the whole geographical world, but just consider the social environment, the world that you live in, whether it's in education, whether it's in business. Consider your social environment. Consider the people around your life. Consider the people that you interact with on a daily basis. How actively engaged are you with them? Or are you disconnected? A very, very easy way to evaluate that is just simply ask this question. How many unsaved friends do you have? (laughs) How many unsaved friends do you have? How often do they call you? Do they interact with you? Do they invite you to their place? Do they invite you around to have a meal or light refreshments or whatever? That's just an indication of some sort of engagement. We... Friends, if we come across as, as, as judgmental or not wanting to, or, or lack of interest, there is no way we're going to be engaged and be, able to, and be able to change society. Today, I ask you to consider the world around you. How engaged are you in there? Do you can spend most of your life consumed with church or spiritual matters and forget to engage the people around you? Today, I want to ask you that. We must consider the world in the context in which the church sits now. Our message must remain the same, that God is love. 
that his blood breaks every chain. His blood cleanses us from all sin, that there's a way to get free from those demons. There's a way to find healing and, and, and restoration in our lives. However, in the way that we present it must be in a way that I believe is in a way that our community can understand. Today, you have the hope of glory inside you. Today, you and I are called to be the arms and and legs of Jesus Christ. You and I are Jesus Christ represented in the world today. God has called us to be the light of the world, the light of the world, the hope of glory, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And today, it's up to us, I believe, how we live our lives, Monday to Friday, Saturday. Today, one more time, I ask you to consider that world around you. How engaged are you? Are you engaged in a sports club? Are you engaged in some sort of a community environment? How connected are you? Are you proactively investing into there? Are you somehow finding a way to bring Christ into there? And uh, I just ask you to consider that. And just closing our eyes right now. You know, the story ends. This particular story ends by this man getting uh, disconnected from society. This man, this blind man that got healed, ended up getting rejected from society. And I love in, in verse 35, it says, When Jesus heard that this man had been disconnected, Jesus went out and found him. Jesus went out and found him. Friends, maybe you're here this morning and you're disconnected. Maybe you're disconnected from God. My friends, today, Jesus Christ is looking for you. He wants to meet with you. He wants to connect you and back into a family. Maybe you know people around you that are disconnected. This morning, church, let's be Christ. Reconnect people. Go and find people. Find people that are lost. Find people. Be proactive in finding people. Connect with them. Connect them into your family at home. Open up your heart. Invite them into your world. There, I believe, you and I will find that the church will be the light of the world, a city on a hill that could not be hidden. Amen? Amen? Amen. Come on, why don't you give the Lord a a shout of praise this morning? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us to be the light of the world. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in our lives afresh. Holy Spirit, I pray that as every one of us goes from this place, Lord, that your peace would be upon them. Holy Spirit, that your presence would abide upon their lives. Holy Spirit, that your presence would emanate out from uh, wherever they, uh, whatever social connection that they go to, whatever part of the social order, whatever their world is, Lord, I pray that your presence would emanate from them. I pray today, Holy Spirit, that your love would go with them today. Holy Spirit, I pray that they would bring peace into every environment that they go into. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you come and touch us afresh. Cause us as a church to arise and engage our community. Amen. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much for coming today. I want you to go and take somebody out for lunch or invite somebody home this week and, and have a fantastic Hawke's Bay sunny day. Amen? Awesome.